The talk you're about to hear is by Zen teacher Sensei Amala Wrightson. Today is the second day of our hybrid urban retreat. It's the 27th of November 2022 and we're going to uh, continue uh, reading from and commenting on our appointment with life, the Buddha's teachers teaching on living in the present. Um, and this is translated and with a commentary by Thich Nhat Hanh uh, into the Vietnamese and then from Vietnamese into English by uh, Annabelle Laity. And we were just sort of getting an overview yesterday, but the central teaching of um, this little really collection of different suttas, mostly from the Pali, is can be summed up in the, this following uh, verse. Let go of what is past. Let go of what is not yet. Observe deeply what is happening in the present moment, but do not be attached to it. This is the most wonderful way to live alone. <clears throat> and just for people who weren't here yesterday for Taisho, this living alone uh, really refers to um, being, I could say, all one. It's, and he's, he's um, the Buddha is correcting people's view that it means actually living, living away from other people and realizing that actually it's all about um, a sort of internal um, landscape, you could say. These, these lines are, are very helpful instructions for Zen practitioners. Let go of what is past, let go of what is not yet. That pretty much sums up a good percentage of all of our thoughts as we're sitting. We so often dwell on the past or, or fall into worrying about the future or planning things. So just to um, break it down in these two, into these two categories, if, it's, if, it's, if you're thinking about the past, going over um, what happened in a certain time or situation, then to let go of it. And if you catch yourself uh, planning or worrying, to let go of that. It hasn't actually happened yet. It's something we're just creating in our minds. So it can, it can help to, to break down our thoughts into these two major categories in order to um, catch ourselves when they, when they take us over. And then thirdly, observe deeply what is happening in the present moment, but do not be attached to it. This really sums up um, what our practices are designed to do, to, to uh, help us, facilitate us getting into the present moment. What is happening right now? What is that? Not to be... Uh, overwhelmed by it, but to have enough spaciousness in the mind that we can, that we can appreciate what is happening right now. And then the verse ends, this is the most wonderful way to live alone. And we'll turn now to, to the 
the commentary. And this first section that we'll be reading from is called, is headed up, Do Not Reject the World and Society. To live alone does not mean to reject the world and society. The Buddha said that living alone means living in the present moment deeply, observing what is happening. If we do that, we will not be dragged into the past or swept away into thoughts about the future. The Buddha said that if we cannot live in the present moment, even if we are alone in the deepest forest, we are not really alone. He said that if we are fully alive in the present moment, even if we are, we are in a crowded urban area, we can still be said to be living alone. Really, this, this urban retreat that we are having is affirming this, this truth that we can, we can uh, practice in the midst of uh, all the busyness of the city and of our own lives we can find a way to live alone as if we were in the deepest forest. The, 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 the going back and forth that we do in an urban retreat between our, our homes and the zendo um, is, is part and parcel of what we're working with when we, we come to a retreat like this. Um, how do we keep uh, on an even keel when faced with all the demands of our, of our lives, things that have to be done, people who need things, to be able to respond from a centered place, uh, a place, a stable place. We get, we get tested when um, we're moving back and forth between environments in this way. Buddhist meditators know the importance of practicing in a community. That is the meaning of the phrase, I take refuge in the Sangha. Probably for most of us, the, the, the place where our, our practice is, is most tested is in our relationships. How do we respond to uh, someone's need when we when we're busy and already feel like we've got enough on our plate. How do we respond when the people we live with don't live up to our expectations in one way or another? If we can see the, the, the community that we live in and the people that we live with as a field for practice, as a place where we, we make real our aspirations to wake up and, and live kindly, then it can completely transform how we uh, live with others. Thich Han goes on to say, a Vietnamese proverb goes, soup is to a meal what friends are to the practice. To be in touch with a community, to learn from its members and to take refuge in a community is very important. 
to discover the way to being, of being alone in a practice community is something we need to do. It is important to have a Dharma community that we can practice with. Um, it's, it's very easy to um, get caught up in the day-to-day uh, -day activities and lose sight of why we want to meditate, why we want to practice. And um, having contact with regularly with a community can help to remind us and keep us on track. Living clo in close quarters with others, for instance, in a session or in a residential training setting, uh, is, can be very challenging um, when you're when you're training with with people in a in a structured environment and working together, eating together, sitting together. Um, it can that that. Uh, Being at, uh, uh, unable to kind of sort of walk away, just as we the, the same thing in a family, you you don't always. Um, what do they say? You choose your friends, but not your family. Well, that probably isn't a Buddhist uh, Buddhist notion, because in some sense, we do choose our family in the sense that we are karmically linked to them deeply. But when we, when we can't get away from difficult people, this is when uh, our um, practice is truly tested. I was talking to somebody about this and she, she is associated with a, uh, a church community and sort of half-jokingly she was, she was saying, well, if we, if we had to be with our, each other 24-7, we might not... Um, think we were such a loving community. In the, you know, it's easy, it's easy, f or fairly easy, to be friendly with somebody you see once a week. But uh, can we keep that up? Uh, can we be? Can we live out of a place of forgiveness uh, around people who we are with very much more than that, day in day out? We'll say, we'll say more about forgiveness later, but it's in terms of um, the first of these admonitions from the Buddha, let go of what is past. Forgiveness plays a very important role, and we'll come to that later. So as he says, he says, to, to discover the way of being alone in a practice community is something we need to do. And then he's referring to this, the monk Tara that we were um, hearing about yesterday. The monk Tara was part of a practice community, but he was determined to live alone. 
He believed in the idea of a solitary life because he had at some time heard the Buddha praising the practice of living alone. So he kept his distance from everyone else. He begged alms alone, he turned, he returned alone, he ate alone, and he meditated alone. He was like a drop of oil in a bowl of water, unable to mix with his fellow practitioners. Because of this, the bhikkhus thought there was something abnormal about him, and they expressed their concern to the Buddha. So that's why they, they felt there was somehow something out of balance in the behavior of this particular monk. He was unable to mix. If we live, if we live in community and, and we live closely, we live consistently over many years, then there's bound to be conflict sooner or later, disagreements, misunderstandings. This is the stuff of community, really. And, and, our, and our job as practitioners is to, to realize the, the Buddha's teachings of, of, of compassion and, and awareness in community. If we, if we still find ourselves um, shying away from being around others or, or um, avoiding, avoiding interactions, then we still have work to do, a lot of work to do on ourselves. The Buddha was very kind. He did not criticize Thera. He only said that Thera's way of living alone was not the best way of doing so. Because many other monks were present, Buddha took the opportunity to teach Thera the better way of living alone, a way in which it is still possible to associate with the Sangha of bhikkhus, to learn from and take refuge in them. It's noticeable when we were reading the sutra yesterday that how gentle the Buddha was in his his um, feedback that he gave to Thera. He, he, you could say he was practicing right speech and not, not speaking in a harsh way that, that um, this, this monk would not be able to hear. What's the point of giving somebody uh, feedback? This could be hard feedback for them to hear, if they aren't able to take it in, uh, then it just becomes an exercise, for, kind of vain exercise for ourselves if we're just um, carelessly uh, speaking. One of the aspects of the precept about speech is not to speak harshly. Most of us don't don't respond well to, to to harsh speech. Though there are some occasions when when, as somebody put it, um, a shout is better than a thesis. Then he looks at, at the the those who were practicing in a way opposite to the, the thera. There were bhikkhus who were different from the thera, who would 
always gather in small groups and fritter away their time chatting and joking. Their conversations were not about the teaching and the Buddha frequently reprimanded them. When we when we when we hear the these references to monks, we can we can just translate that for ourselves into people who seriously want to practice or who are practicing seriously. Then then if if we are practicing seriously, then if we're in a, in, a, in a training environment, then we'll, we'll want to do, use that time in the best way that we can. We won't be wasting our time in idle chatter or surfing the web or th things like that, but we'll be taking those moments to come back to the mind, to keep touching the mind, to keep investigating the mind. It doesn't mean that there's... That one should never engage in small talk. Um, somebody once said, when we talk about the weather, it's not the weather we're talking about. And small talk is a way of connecting with people. But to, to know when is the right time is for such talk and when silence is uh, the right thing. He continues, there are stories throughout the suttas in which the Buddha advises or chides the, the, the monks who act in a noisy and undisciplined way, not knowing how to keep body and mind in check, not knowing how to spend their time usefully in practicing walking and sitting meditation and absor observing deeply things as they are in the present moment. When I first became a monk, my master gave me a copy of the book Words of Discipline of Master Ki Song. I will never forget the sentences in which Master Ki Song reprimands practitioners who, after the midday meal, gather in small groups and talk about meaningless things. Ki Song's words of advice have often come back to me and served as a reminder. When we live in a practice community, there should always be at least one or two people who serve as role models. Sometimes we only need to watch them standing, walking, speaking, or smiling in mindfulness, and we feel steady in our own practice. The fact that we know the better way to live alone does not prevent us from enjoying and benefiting from the presence of such people. On the contrary, it is because we know the better way to live alone that we have the ability to observe them and deeply appreciate them. To have examples, people who don't necessarily uh, overtly teach the Dharma, but people who, who live it, to have to see such people, to, to live with such people is so helpful. And to just associate with them, to have a community that where you feel when you come into it that you're, you're, you're uplifted by the, by the people there. As I said, there are times when 
talk can be very helpful. We don't have to be aloof or silent all the time. But um, to direct our thoughts, to direct our awareness to uh, the Dharma as much as we can when we're around others who have, have like, are like-minded. Example of... Um, Time when talking can be very helpful is um, after our retreats or sessions. Um, we have often we'll often have tea for a seven-day session. We have both a dinner and then a brunch the following day. And I think this is a really important time for people to um, get a sense of not being alone in the struggles that we have when we practice to hear f from other people about their struggles and, and uh, uh, get, a, get a sense of, of um, what's, what are the, are the normal kinds of things that come up in, in uh, intensive practice. But even even recognizing the value of those times of of, of um, connecting with our Dharma brothers and sisters, we can also go too far after session. We get can become kind of intoxicated by um, how wonderful it is to talk to people after seven days of silence, and then fritter away that that. Um, meditative, concentrative energy that we've built up over those, that time. So it is a matter of being, being um, careful, or how does Thich Han put it? Keeping our mind and body in check. To be in touch does not mean just to talk with the other person. When we are in touch with the blue sky, for example, the white clouds, the green willow or the rose, we do not communicate with them only in words. We recognize and accept these things and feel their warmth. Confidence springs up in us and we learn a lot from their presence. In this way, we are able to profit from the third jewel, the practice community. So he's continuing to talk about about these people in, the, in, in a practice community who can serve as role models. The, the, the importance of having mentors in practice, um, not just uh, the, te the teacher who may, you may feel is, is, is somewhat remote, but people closer to us that are, that are maybe more our age or a similar experience, for, for Richard and me, um, there, were, there were two uh, Swedes at the centre when we were first training that were, fulfilled that role for us, of, of uh, people further along in their practice but that we could really relate to as, as friends. And that was, these relationships are so important and they have, they're so profound.
He goes on, if we practice the better way of living alone, we spend most of our time quietly practicing walking and sitting meditation, and our presence will make a real contribution to the community. Unlike Thera, who, or, or the ones who gather after meals to talk about things that are not important, every step we make adds to the quality and stability of the practice in the community. This is, this is um, so true, and especially when we're sitting together in in uh, retreats, we become very, very aware of, of, of each other and the energies that are being put out. So to, to, to really understand that in terms of, um, um, for instance, not moving while, while during a round, that it is, it's, we're doing it not only for ourselves so that we can concentrate and gather our minds more fully, but also so that others can do the same thing, the people we're sitting with. with. Our, our whole practice in, in a, a retreat setting like this is um, one of, of gratitude. The bow that we make at the end of, the, of, of a sitting, for instance, is just um, acknowledging, and we do this again and again, acknowledging the, the help that we get from uh, the sitting of other people, the, the, the um, pooled, concentrative energy that we can um, realize in, in a silent practice together. The Buddha knows that if every individual in the community knows how to live alone, in other words, not letting go of the past and letting go of the future, the quality of life in the community will be excellent. When all the members of the community contribute to that quality, the community has a strong foundation and many people can benefit from it. To live alone means to live in mindfulness. It does not mean to isolate oneself from society. If we know the better way to live alone, we can be in touch with people and society, and we will know what to do and what not to do to be of help. So not to leave uh, uh, sitting today and going home and then thinking that, that you're in a place that's just full of distractions, but rather being more able to really be in touch with people and respond to their needs and to the needs of the situation. The next section is uh, headed up. The richness of the spiritual life comes from living alone. If we live in forgetfulness, if we, choose, if we lose ourselves in the past or in the future, if we allow ourselves to be tossed about by our desires, anger, and ignorance, we will not be able to live each moment of our life deeply. We will not be in contact with what is happening in the present moment, and our relations with others will become shallow and impoverished. We can, we can be so caught up in our... Uh, thoughts about the past or the future that we, we can't really hear or see other people. 
and we may um, completely misread a situation because of that, because we're, we're caught up in our own thoughts about ourself often, and then we, we kind of project that out onto our environment. Some days we may feel hollow, exhausted and joyless, not really our true selves. On such days, even if we try to be in touch with others, our efforts will be in vain. The more we try, the more we fail. When this happens, we should stop trying to be in touch with what is outside ourselves and come back to being in touch with ourselves, to being alone. So he's saying here there are, there are times to withdraw, physically withdraw from, from uh, our surroundings. We should stop trying to be in touch with what is outside ourselves and come back to being in touch with ourselves, to being alone, in the more literal sense. We should close the door onto society, come back to ourselves and practice conscious breathing, observing deeply what is going on inside and around us. We accept all the phenomena we observe, say hello to them, smile at them. We do well to do simple things, like walking or sitting meditation, washing our clothes, cleaning the floor, making tea, and cleaning the bathroom in mindfulness. If we do these things, we will restore the richness of our spiritual life. I think this is, this is uh, very good advice. If we find ourselves particularly in a, in a place of, of ill will or anger or, or agitation, to, to know that, that we, we're um, out of sync, we're out of touch with our inner life and to take some time, uh, quiet time to reconnect there and then we'll be ready to return to um, relationships and all the, the hurly-burly of our daily lives. And it's a way also of understanding our sesheen. Our sesheens are not... Um, done just for their own sake, but so that we can, we can return to life and, and be responsive and loving. The Buddha was someone who lived an awakened life, dwelling constantly in the present moment in a relaxed and steady way. There was always a richness about him, a richness of freedom, joy, understanding and love. Whether he was seated on a rocky crag of Vulture, at Vulture Peak, in the shade of the bamboo groves of Venuvana Monastery, or under the thatched roof of his hut in Jetavana, Buddha was Buddha, unagitated, content, and of few words. Everyone could see that his presence contributed greatly to the harmony of the community. He was the main pillar of the community. For the monks and nuns, just to know that he was nearby had an active influence on the community. I think this is, this is um, one of the ways in which um, there being a, a, a teacher in a community works, is that, that people, um, they, they living with somebody or being around somebody who they feel as their, uh, you could say, spiritual 
better or or um, role model, then that 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 they lift their own uh, behaviour. There may be quite a bit of projection involved in it, but it can be healthy to 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 look up to um, people in the community and and live up to those those um, values that they have. Many students of the Buddha, including hundreds of senior disciples, inspired similar confidence in those who observed them. King Prasidnajit of Kosala once told the Buddha that what gave him so much confidence in the Buddha was the unhurried, calm, and joyful way of life of the monks and nuns who were practicing under his guidance. This, um, confidence that one can get from, from, from being around people who, who are uh, living the way to some degree. Um, it's talked about by Master Dogen. Um, he says, the student, even though he may not possess the mind that seeks the way, should associate it with a good person become involved in good circumstances and hear and see the same thing any number of times. Don't think that because you have seen or heard something once, there is no need to hear it, see it again. Uh, it's, it's referring, it's uh, reassuring to hear this from Dogen because um, a teacher often will be saying the same thing over and over again. But that's, that's what we need. Sometimes we we need to hear something many times before we truly have it sink in. For those who have really already aroused the mind that seeks the way, each hearing serves to polish the mind and make for progress, even though the subject may be the same. Those who do not have this mind may not gain very much on the first or second hearing, but if they keep listening steadily, it will slowly, slowly soak in as a garment that gradually gets damp from walking through the fog and dew. If they hear the words of a good person many times, shame naturally arises for not having the mind that seeks the way, and that mind will truly arise of itself. Therefore, no matter how familiar they are to you, you must look at the sacred scriptures many times. Although you may have heard the words of your teacher many times, you must listen to them again and again, Gradually, your mind will be stirred to greater depths. Do not repeatedly draw near to anything that hinders the practice of the way. No matter how painful or difficult it may be, draw near to a good friend and practice the way. It's a beautiful image, this um, sense of walking through a mist. And without our even knowing it, our, our clothing becomes damp. We, we assimilate something, we, we absorb uh, the teaching and, it, and then it, it, it starts to um, be really active in our lives. If we live in mindfulness, we are no longer poor 
because our practice of living in the present moment makes us rich in joy, peace, understanding and love. Even when we encounter somebody poor in spirit, we are able to look deeply and discover that person's depths and help him or her in an effective way. This is, this is so important, especially when we've, we encounter behaviour to which we may feel averse in one way or another. Um, but if we look closely, if, when we look at somebody who's very aggressive, for instance, which can be hard for us to handle, to, to try and see what is behind that aggression, see the fear that, that often is behind it, or the pain that is there behind addictions of different kinds, or um, the, the ignorance, the delusions that can be around uh, rudeness that we may experience. So, to, to, so this is what looking deeply means, to, to go see beyond appearances, beyond the, the, the surface. When we watch an unwholesome movie or read a bad novel, if we are already poor in heart and mind and, and weak in mindfulness, that movie or book may irritate us and make us even poorer. But if we are rich in mindfulness, we will discover what lies in the depths of the film or the novel. We may be able to see deeply into the inner world of the person who directed the film or wrote the novel. Looking with the eyes of a literary or film critic, we can see things that most people do not see, and even a bad movie or book can teach us. Thus, we are not impoverished by reading that novel or watching that film. Maintaining full awareness of each detail of the present moment, we are able to profit from it. This is the better way to live alone. Um, I think this is true up to a point, but um, we might also just become aware of how short life is and, and, and uh, not want to, at least not want to seek out bad movies or, or novels. Choose what we read. Choose what we expose our minds to. But, but if we do, do um, encounter something like this, you know, to, um, to extract what we can from it by, by um, looking into what might be behind the, the, the bad film or book, Next um, section is um, entitled Internal Formations. The knowing the better way to live alone gutta begins with the line, do not pursue the past. Pursue the past means to regret what has already come and gone. We regret, regret the loss of beautiful things of the past which we can no longer find in the present. The Buddha commented on this line as follows. When someone thinks how his body was in the past, how his feelings were in the past, how his perceptions were in the past, how his mental factors were in the past, how his consciousness was in the past, when he thinks like that and gives rise to a mind which is enslaved by those things, which belong to the past, then that person is pursuing the past. Now, again, for people who weren't here yesterday, these 
these five things that um, the Buddha mentions that people dwelling on, um, meaning pursue the past, are the skandhas or the, 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 the different elements that make up our, our experience of being alive, body and mind essentially. We can take one of these just and give an example. So, uh, when someone thinks of his body, of, when somebody thinks how his body was in the past. So I actually caught myself doing this this morning as I was doing some stretching exercises um, of, of feeling, in a, getting into a certain posture and feeling like, oh, I'm, I'm more stiff and I'm less flexible today than I was yesterday. And that's, you know, that's just a, uh, an observation. But then we can attach a story to it. A worry about, okay, if I'm like this now, well, how will I be in the future? You know, a story about um, having a degenerative disease and so forth. And, and that is pain-producing. And it's disempowering because it's I can't do anything about the future, but I can do something in the present. I can make sure I don't skip my exercises so that I stay as flexible as I can. That's just being being in the present to to um, do that. That's empowering. So, and you see how that one starts as a comparison with something that's past, that the, the body was yesterday, but then it also quickly gets into what the body will be like tomorrow or many days after that. And we can, if we dwell on these things, we can become enslaved by them. The Buddha taught that we should not pursue the past because the past no longer is. When we are lost in thoughts about the past, we lose the present. Life exists only in the present moment. To lose the present is to lose life. The Buddha's meaning is very clear. We must say goodbye to the past so that we may return to the present. To return to the present is to be in touch with life. And so this, we, this can be helpful to, to recognize this, that um, every time that we, in, in our practice of the, uh, the koan or the breath or shikantaza, every time we, we release thoughts and feelings that we're experiencing and come back to the breath or the koan, we're returning to, to life, we're, we're touching life. So this is the whole point of, of our, um, having a practice, having a way to do this, to come back to our lives. Uh, well, I think we'll, our time is up. We, there's much more good material here, and we'll continue, continue with this in the next, in the next Teisho. Um, and we'll stop now and recite the four vows. We're going to do the vows now in English, uh, but then at the end of the sitting before the tea break, we can do them in Tereo as we normally do.
All beings without number, I vow to liberate. The teaching you have received is offered freely. If you would like to make a donation to support the continuation of this podcast service or learn more about practice opportunities at the Auckland Zen Centre, please visit www.aucklandzen.org.nz.